Hello and welcome to the Foreign Press Podcast. I'm Alan Herrera. This podcast is an educational program by the Association of Foreign Press Correspondents in the United States. That's AFPC USA. Today, we have the privilege of diving into the incredible journey of journalist Ankita M. Kumar, who is a 2023 AFPC USA Professional Excellence Awardee. Ankita's story is a testament to the transformative power of life's unexpected turns, as she previously recounted in an interview with the German publication DW titled Breaking Barriers as a Woman in India. Ankita is more than just a journalist. She is also an award-winning storyteller whose work has graced major publications like Politico and The Economist Group. Her dedication to shedding light on pressing issues in India has earned her several fellowships, amplifying her impactful reporting. With funding from the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting and the American Institute of Afghanistan Studies, Ankita directed the documentary Far From Home, set to premiere at the Amdok Film Festival. Ankita holds master's degrees from Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism and the London School of Economics, as well as a bachelor's degree from Lady Sriram College, University of Delhi. Join us today as we delve into Ankita's journey of resilience and breaking through societal norms. Ankita, thank you for being here with us today. Uh, we, of course, really enjoyed learning so much more about your experience. Um, I'd be interested in asking you several questions. The first that comes to mind here is um, for our listeners, for our listeners, for our audience, could you share more about your background and the experiences that led you to write about breaking barriers as a woman in India? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I started my childhood. So um, I, I was actually very grateful that you asked me to come on this podcast because it's so necessary to um, I feel for me, uh, becoming a journalist was essential because my grandmother, my grandparents were refugees to India. And I always felt there was a lack of representation of refugee voices in the media um, or, or, you know, generations of people who um, are able to break those barriers and get that education and achieve all the things that, you know, your um, ancestors couldn't because of a major displacement that was never their fault. And um, and my grandmother's experience particularly motivated me to um, speak the truth, speak facts. And I think I was always a journalist when I was a kid because I was always using facts and being truthful uh, about a lot of things. So I think it was always there in my blood. Um, I also came to know recently that my grandfather's brother was a journalist for a local newspaper. Oh. So it was there in my family yeah, for a long time. So. I feel that um, all these experiences and plus my experiences of being a woman in India growing up, um, the society was relatively conservative when I was growing up. Things have changed a lot now, but when I was born, no one really celebrated, no one was happy about it. People were upset that a girl was born because women were seen as a liability. And there was um, there was expectation of the fathers giving dowry uh, for the marriage, uh, dowries when the father has to give money to the bride. So these were the kind of social issues that were around when I was born. Um, and now things have changed significantly, but it was obviously a struggle getting here. And um, all my experiences um, motivated me to become a journalist and uh, end up writing that article for Deutsche Welle. Um, given everything that you've just said um, about these cultural expectations, 
right? Uh, what was expected of you. Can you elaborate for me um, on the cultural shift that you experienced after the fact, perhaps uh, regarding, uh, well, of course, you know, clothing, expressions, societal expectations. I'd be very curious to see like how that changed for you. So uh, when I, I grew up in Mumbai, which was a, it's a, it's a very big city. Uh, we mm. call it the New York of India because it's that bustling, it's that big. And um, I grew up there for 16 years. And then uh, the 2008 financial crisis forced my parents to make some hard financial decisions. And they sent me to study in a school, which was in a village, uh, very close to where my dad's parents lived. And that's when I really saw things shift for me because um, I started seeing the difference between how women were seen in urban areas in India and the opportunities they received versus women in villages in India, where there's still so much disparity. Uh, most of my classmates uh, actually ended up getting married right after their high school. Um, they didn't end up having expecting to have a career. There was no expectations. Uh, where I was a vocal woman that was seen as a problem because I used to speak up against uh, gender-based violence, uh, gender-based discrimination, and that was not appreciated. In fact, my own grandparents used to discriminate against me. Uh, they used to believe that, um, you know, feeding me food or like um, giving me resources was a waste of their money because I would anyway marry into another family and, you know, leave their family. So these were the things I started noticing at the young age of 16. And um, then I also saw caste-based discrimination. Um, women of uh, the lower castes were treated very different, differently from women of upper caste. For example, women of upper caste in villages were expected to stay at home, um, marry within their caste because it's just more honorable for them to not marry outside the caste. Women of lower castes were faced a lot of gender-based violence, caste-based violence. And these, um, this really shaped my worldview, my view of India, and it really helped me in my reporting because I didn't come from an urban perspective after that. I always understood the perspective of a woman in a village who has never seen the real world, who has never who has never been told that she's of value or she's worthy of anything good for her. And um, these, I really feel that these we need to talk about these things more often so that women from these smaller towns and cities, smaller villages really get those opportunities that they deserve. And um, I have a lot of friends when I went to college in Delhi, a lot of my friends came from very small uh, towns in India. And one of the biggest things I noticed was the lack of self-worth, you know, in me, in them. Um, I, I had a little more confidence because I did spend 16 years of my life in a city like Mumbai. But a lot of my friends from the smaller towns really lacked their confidence. Um, they were uh, they faced a lot of gender based discrimination growing up, being told you're inferior to your brother uh, or, you know, like you don't like you should feel grateful that we have given you an education. And these things and are this would be openly communicated, right? Not to interrupt. Forgive me. This would be openly communicated to you yes. just that. Yeah, it's openly communicated. Like my, I remember my grandmother when I was in high school. Um, there was a ceremony uh, in my family, and it's it's a I I found that ceremony very problematic because it was a ceremony for the Brahmins, the upper caste community, and Brahmins have been oppressors for centuries. And there is a ceremony in the Brahmin community that said that um, that basically is about it's called a threat ceremony. So where my brother had to um, wear the sacred thread and where he would become a Brahmin. So my grandmother, I asked her very clearly, why don't women have the ceremony? And then she told me that women don't because um, women will become Brahmins after they get married. So I gave her a comeback and said, that means I can marry whoever I want because I'm not really a Brahmin, am I? 
and she got very upset and she turned to my father and said this is what happens when you educate your girls too much <laughs> yeah and this is this was very this is very normalized and i think now in india in a lot of urban spaces people are becoming conscious and they're not like passing these kind of statements or in fact i a lot of my friends they want girls now the narrative has really changed for the better and i really like that about the new india but i feel that because i went through all these things i can understand the perspective of someone when a woman comes to me and says you know i have low self worth i don't feel i'm worthy of anything and then i say sit down let's have a conversation because i have been there i know what it means to always uh, feel undervalued and i think this has really um, i would say not affected but it has motivated me to report the stories that i usually report on it sounds like a lot of this based on your insights um is certainly linked to this uh this divide between rural communities and urban communities and the the pull to conform you know i can only imagine you know must have been enormous and certainly continues to be enormous for uh for many young women and girls who um who ha you know who haven't been able to move forward who continue to run into so many obstacles so i'm curious you know how did you find the strength within yourself to resist societal pressure uh a big thing that um uh, uh, my source of strength was my economic independence and i would advocate that for every woman like we we should be economically independent because it really helps us advocate for our rights and i because i moved out of my home at a very young age at 16 and then i went and uh, you know studied in a big city like delhi and uh, when i was in delhi um, there was a big incident that happened um, the when i was in my in college uh, there was the uh, nirbhaya rape incident that was broadcasted across the world and it was an incident of this woman who was uh, raped by four men on a bus and she was a, yeah and she was a student of psych, uh, physiotherapy or something um, and i just when i read about that incident and i just realized there's so much gender based violence in india and if even if one woman makes it in life there's so many other women who will be elevated and i just thought to myself no i have to become economically independent and independent to the extent that i don't have to um, depend on public transport or i don't have to uh, put myself in spaces where i feel unsafe because i just felt so unsafe at at that time as a college student and then i focused on becoming economically independent and uh, putting myself in a position of uh, i would say power so that i can you know stand up and say i i don't want to do this or i don't want to do that and um, that really helped me when i wanted to get married and i uh, chose to you know be with someone who was from a lower caste and um, a, a lower caste than my own and my mom put a lot of opposition to it and she tried to stop the marriage she said that i i, I will not accept this uh, he's of a lower caste what will people say and i always i always turned around and said to her i am economically independent i can do what i want and i will not accept the violence that you're sending my way the um, mental violence that you know every day like she would say something to me and it is usually very mean about my husband's family or about me and um till date we have these conversations where she just says some things which is very inappropriate but i i have been able to i say i would say change her mind on a lot of things because i am very economically independent and i would really say that really helps women uh, so that we are not put into spaces or positions where we feel vulnerable or in not, not in a position of power and i feel um, a lot of especially women who don't come from generational wealth who come from lower middle class families or middle class families we really have to put in that effort um so i see a lot of my young friends my 
my friends going out and you know getting mbas or trying to upskill themselves because they just want to get get that independence and not depend on their families because the moment you depend on your family for anything um you know you you just face to face a lot of violence and out there it's not safe for us um i would say delhi is much safer for us but um after that incident happened the nirbhaya incident i just uh, stop taking public transport and i said i will earn enough so that i can buy my own car and i eventually did so that i can drive myself around and i don't have to be in a situation where i get onto a public transport and i feel uncomfortable for being a woman so all these yeah all these things i would say uh, um, matter a lot if you want to take a stand but i also understand the situation of those women who cannot uh, because it's just not possible you're you're fighting against a lot of people like our society is very different from the us like everybody it's a very um, family oriented society so everybody in the family has a stake in your life decisions so mm-hmm. uh, even though it's easy for me to say now it's easy for me to say i'm 31 it's easy for me to say you know take a stand fight uh, i know for a lot of women it's not possible because you're just there's just too many elements against you. you you might have a few siblings against you your parents against you and there's just too much happening so i understand whenever someone says i could not do this and Yeah, I sympathize with that. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult um, from my vantage point, um, essentially because you you have to go up against absolutely everything that you know, and that's a very frightening thing. Most people, you know, most people wouldn't even know where to begin, you know, in that regard. Especially, you want a future for yourself, but how do you even begin the process of establishing that, let alone reclaiming that? in the future. Um I it's interesting, you know, it's interesting that you you're speaking about you're speaking about all of this and you're certainly mentioning you know your friends who are committed to in the process of bettering themselves. You've spoken at length about the the positive impact that your choices had on women uh you know that you know or women in your village. How do you see the progress and changes in attitudes towards women there today? um i can speak for my family and i've really seen a lot of impact like i'm the first woman from my family to work and um one of my sisters tried working but then she was technically married off at a very young age because um her parents discovered that she had a boyfriend and that was not acceptable and this is all back in 2007 and 8 Uh, and that was a completely different society and um i was i'm grateful to my parents for you know um giving me the opportunities and believing in me um despite the several challenges that came across the, their their way um and i know for them it must have been so hard to be the parents of a girl child taking a stand saying that we will not let our girl end up like other girls in the family and then i became the first woman from my family to work i'm still working and i think that's really inspired a lot of the men in my family to change their perspective on women uh, for example one of my uh, dad's cousin brothers when uh, i was born went and told him that um i would rather not have children than have a daughter he said that to him 30 30 years ago uh, when i was just a baby and and i you'll be happy to know last year he met my dad and he just said you know your daughter's made us proud like she's done so much better than the boys in our family and today we are so proud that you know like uh, none of the boys could do any achieve anything significant but the daughter did and and there's such a big development you know it just the fact that he's saying this after 30 years just shows that you know how much respect they have for my qualifications and everything that i've done 
and um it makes me feel just so happy for the other girls being born in my family my brothers um my cousin brothers they all want girls now uh, two of my cousin brothers have daughters they actually celebrated the birth of their daughters uh, they're sending them to good one of my brothers is sending his daughter to an international school paying like a lot of fees because he just wants her to get all the best opportunities that she would get um and my other brother even though he's uh, in a smaller town he has big aspirations for his daughter he wants her to become like an officer um or a police officer or an administrative services officer and the it's just it's heartening to see them have these aspirations for their girls and believe that if we give them the opportunities it just it'll just work well for them and as and i i used to love anne of the green gables so as a kid and now i see that happening in my own family and it just makes me um feel so happy and i really wish it permeates to other families in in that town um and i yeah i i have seen that change in my family so hopefully uh, with the other girls uh, the other women succeeding um, i'm sure they have been sim- seeing similar impacts in their families as well and that's that's incredible to hear you know you're seeing it happen right in front of your very eyes and you know i i can certainly speak from my own personal experiences that there are things uh, from the way that i've seen society evolve there are things that are just generally accepted now in the way that um you know in general i find that society has become at least in the united states much more open let's say much more progressive much more accepting and this is something that i if you had told me this you know you and i are the same age i'm thir- i'm 32 years old if you had told me this um you know 20 years ago i would have i would have you know shaken my head so uh, and that's just the U.S., the country, you know, that country that I come from. And there is certainly um, there isn't as much of an understanding to just how complex the the gender dynamics in particular in India are, as we you know, as we've been discussing. So th- to see, you know, to see that happening for you to not only um, to to play a role in that, but also see the but to see the impact and the people who are coming after you. That must fill that must fill your heart with joy considerably, I imagine. Yeah, I I I mean I have some emotions are of joy, some emotions are, are a little complex because um I realize when you get older and you start succeeding at the workplace, there are different kinds of narratives that come out for women uh, in particular. And also if you're part of the LGBTQ community, it changes completely. Um and it uh, I feel I feel a lot of joy when people say positive things to me. They say things like Oh, you know, girls get should are as equal to boys, or they should do well, or uh, if we invest in them, like for example, uh, in our government examinations, a lot of girls are topping nowadays. And there was this one particular year where we had four girls take the top four ranks in the examinations. And my mother-in-law put up a she's on Facebook all the time, and she put up this beautiful post on Facebook saying, um, uh, like all those people who feel ashamed when a girl is born, what are you going to say now? all the girls have taken the spots in the examination. And I found it so empowering for my mother-in-law to say that uh, because she comes from Bihar, and uh, which is an Eastern state in India, and where oppression of women is was much more than where I come from. And my mother-in-law never had uh, any choices in life. She was married off at 19, like married off literally. Like she had no opinions of her own. She was studying her for her engineering degree. She could not complete it. She had, had to get a diploma. Um, and she just went through so much in life and it was amazing to see that, you know, she really like it, everything is translating into her social media feed and she's really passing on that message. But then there are also some people, um, on my 
dad's side of the family or you know um some friends of my uh, dad uh, or my mom who say things like oh you know like she should work but they talk about me they say she should work but after she has kids she has to take a step back and there's this assumption that i should take a step back if i ever have if i ever have children and it's an assumption that i will have children there's, it's not a choice i can make so there are these kind of statements people do pass about working women and it's very problematic and we are going to take another 20 years to reach that stage where it's acceptable for women to send their kids to childcare um or you know it's acceptable for women to choose to not get married or not have children um i think we are still not there so i feel um as a lot of people do feel bitter about the fact that now a lot of women are working and making their own decisions and um that resentment is there in some parts of society so we have to get rid of that and that's that's going to take time i feel mm. how do you perceive the uh the current state of social mobility for young girls in india in a broader context given given what we've been discussing so by social mobility do you mean their like mobility for education or mobility in general in in society education is probably the biggest one i imagine but i would certainly be interested in um any other facet to um you know to this topic that you could introduce that you could speak about Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um I still feel that my perspective uh, like would it I mean it's a very I would say it's a narrow perspective because I I grew up in a big city. I still I lived in a big city and then I just spent a small amount of time in a in a, in, in a village. Um and I know that a dalit woman would have a very different perspective to this. A woman f- from a ec- lower ec- socioeconomic background would have a very different perspective. So, uh I can just give you a broad understanding of what I feel is the matter. I feel that uh, in a lot of um I would say uh, there are tiers in India. So there's like a tier 1 city which is like Mumbai, Delhi, Bangalore, Calcutta. Then there are tier 2 cities which are like upcoming growing cities like Gwalior, Indore, uh and in these kind of cities there are there's a big culture and push to get the girls to be educated uh send them outside the state if possible send them to good colleges uh so that you know they have that social mobility and they can have um once they move out of the house they become independent and then they get a job and become economically independent like in my husband's family um a lot of his relatives from bihar they are sending their daughters to as far as you know rajasthan which is the other part of the country and um that was like i would say in my husband's family it was unimaginable 10 years ago sending daughters so far off because people used to when even when i went to college in delhi from mumbai uh, one of my dad's colleagues walked up to him and said you know daughters have to leave the house after marriage anyway so why are you sending a daughter so far off now <laughs> mm. yeah and these were the things people said 10 years ago and but it's changing and now a lot of girls uh, they are taking up science stem programs doing engineering and moving out to other cities but i feel that's restricted to stem alone uh it's very i have not at least i've noticed that if you study B, like commerce degrees bcom degrees or economics degrees or humanities degrees is not that common to leave your city even now like a lot of girls who came to my college in delhi um uh, where even though they came to my college there were certain expectations their parents had okay we've sent you this far but you're expected to do this You're expected to get married at the right age expected to have kids at the right age there was always this underlying expectation which i didn't see with my friends doing engineering and um i i l- like the fact that now it's changing a little bit because uh, as you see more women succeeding 
um, you're, you're changing your opinion. But I still feel in the smaller towns, in the villages, like village by villages, I mean those areas which lack electricity, basic resources. Um, though the women there are still being treated how it was back in back in like I would say back. In, during independence like those women have no idea like they have just grown up being told like the village is unsafe you cannot go out in the evening um you you can get educated but then you have to get married like you know a lot of child like there's still child marriages in india um i when i was reporting uh in smaller town in in, in villages in india I, I did this report on bd workers in india and i met this young girl she was i would say hardly 16 or 17 and she had a seven-year-old kid and yeah, and then uh, I, and she was she when I met her, she was so scared. She said, "I'm 18," and then I said, "It's okay. You it, you don't have to tell me you're 18. I, I I won't like I won't judge you for it." But it's just like the government has said the illegal age of marriage at 18, but there's still so many girls getting married at very young ages. Uh, their parents had you know like arranging their marriages, getting them married off. Um, at 10, 11, 12, like this is still happening, and these women have they get inspired when they meet women like me but then they also sort of realize that we won't get those opportunities because our parents will never invest in us and that needs to change that i still remember i was walking with my camera equipment into a, a village one day it was a very small village on the border of bengal and bangladesh and they had never seen a woman working like they the, the, all the women in the village just congregated and they had their um they had this uh the kind of a dupatta like around their head because they're not allowed to like you know uh take that off in front of their husbands they were just standing there and they were looking at me and they were so inspired and they were like they were asking me questions like do women do this do women walk around with cameras with the men do women go to work with the men um and i said yeah we do and they asked me is it safe like is it okay are your parents okay with this and then i yeah, and then I, w I just realized that there's so much change that still needs to happen for these women because they are still stuck, their parents are still stuck back in time and they're still being seen as liabilities. So that has to change and India will only progress when we really um, look at these women and focus on their growth and get them out of these situations. And that's going to take time. That's honestly going to take a lot of time. Hmm. Well, considering that this is going to take a lot of time, um, I'm curious because uh, on the subject of COVID-19, right, COVID-19 worldwide has dealt many setbacks to, you know, to many marginalized groups around the world, particularly, particularly children, certainly, uh, certainly young girls in regard to their education. Um, could you perhaps give me some insight into the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic and the just the impact that these challenges have had on India? Yeah, I would say uh, in terms of I would say in at least what I saw back in 2021, a lot of schools closed down and um, there was just a lot of uncertainty. There was no clarity on what's happening. People didn't know what the COVID-19 disease was. Uh, I did a story on the condition of nurses in um, Indian villages, village hospitals, rural hospitals. And when I went to the rural hospital, um, and I interacted with the young girls there. I realized there's no clarity on what COVID is. Uh, there's no, in fact, they're struggling with basic things like vaccinations, like children's vaccinations stopped. 
and there were uh, these local asha workers asha workers are like um, they are um, basically intermediate in intermediaries uh, um, i think they're part of the uh, local local government so they are in charge of these vaccinations they were telling me that a lot of households have just closed their doors to us saying that we've been told to isolate so we won't um, you know let you vaccinate our children so these were the kind of issues that i was noticing schools closed down a lot of village schools still grapple with the fact that uh, like girls don't have washrooms there in these smaller schools and um with the covid-19 pandemic these the girls just stopped going to school because they didn't know like what what's going to happen um i went to a, a village in jharkhand in india which is also in uh, closer to the east and i remembered that village school there was no student there i just saw a couple of uh, goats and it's like it was like it was like an apocalypse it was like i i saw that and i was in complete shock and i said where is the teachers they said the teachers have stopped turning up because of covid-19 they don't want to travel so that was what the impact was in 2021 um i would say in urban areas there was the infrastructure to do online classes but uh, even in ur- in urban slums the kids didn't have an infrastructure so a lot of the kids from urban slums were going to the big schools in the cities but uh, because they didn't have a phone they didn't have a laptop uh, they couldn't access uh, books or they couldn't access the online classes there was just so much disparity and a couple of us um in in the cities tried to raise money to fund um like uh, like fund like get phones or get laptops for these young girls but there's only so much you can do um we can only like look at a small fraction of society there are so many other girls who or kids boys even young boys you know who who just don't have the laptops or the phones there's this young girl who walked up to me in an in a slum in gurgaon asking me if i can give her one of my old phones because she said i'm so tired of taking the phone of my neighbor and um, he lets me um, like see my like watch my classes on for a bit and then he takes the phone away from me and says i have to watch something on television like on my phone on youtube so she said you know i i'm i'm tired of you know and, and i found that so astonishing that the neighbor would rather prioritize his youtube usage over a child's education and um and then i it just it made me feel so bad that we have these disparities and a lot of the big schools did not even though they have the infrastructure to have online classes it was surprising that they didn't account for the kids from uh, economically challenged backgrounds and that's becoming a very big issue in india like economically challenged people they don't have opportunities to succeed anymore my dad used to study under a street lamp he was very poor my husband's father was so poor like he went to a school where the teachers hardly turned up and they succeeded they made it in life but that's not happening nowadays nowadays this infrastructure is just geared towards the top 1% and unfortunately the economic policies of the government are favoring the top 1% so i don't know where the society is heading to be honest i feel uh, i feel that a lot of girls who would want to succeed um, have the aspirations in their heart will not get those opportunities and that really scares me and i really hope that some non-profits and other like other places can make a difference to the lives of those girls but they can only do so much there are a lot of people who slip through the cracks so that that really scares me naturally and understandably i mean based on everything that you said just now um you know how uh, and this and this is about looking forward you know in regard to the future um how optimistic are you then about the future of women in india breaking through stereotypes uh you know crashing through barriers and glass ceilings you know like what changes do you know do you foresee i understand you know you said just now um 
that uh, not, for example, nonprofit organizations, other organizations would certainly have to play a role. But I'm curious um, about your perspective and um, perhaps what what is there to be optimistic about, given the fact that this is a very, um, it sounds like a very socially and politically hostile environment for for um, young girls and women. Um, I for the to top one person, I'm very optimistic. Like, I, I, there are a lot of um, um, in in for example, the IITs, uh, the Indian Institutes of Technology. Um, they have um, a, a prorated and like I think I wouldn't say quota, but it's sort of like uh, more girls are taking admissions now because I have twenty percent of seats. Um, I, I might be wrong about the number, but there's a significant uh, percentage of seats in every department. So a lot of girls are going into these prestigious institutions, graduating with great jobs. Uh, in the corporates, there are a lot of benefits for women. Um, it's uh, They get six months of paid maternity leave, which is unheard of in a lot of countries. So there are a lot of good benefits for women. Uh, the society is structured in a way where, you know, the parents support the women going to work. Um, like, for example, like even my parents always say that we we will support our daughter if she ever has a child. So there are these structures um, in place uh, supporting women uh, in the corporate world, in the government uh, workforce, like in the government, Prime Minister Modi has been very adamant about getting more women into the workforce and having these um, beti bachao, beti parao, basically mean save daughters and educate them. So he has these kind of campaigns, uh, even his campaign to uh, establish toil, like, you know, um, washrooms in villages was geared towards getting more women to use washrooms because they had to go into the, uh, they had to go, they, they couldn't use washrooms and they had to go out into, um, into the open where they could face violence, gender-based violence, you know. So um, th there have been attempts to change these things and they are, they are in, in a positive direction. Um, and I would say um, in women going to elite colleges or, you know, even going to colleges which are engineer like STEM programs are getting jobs and the narrative is changing. Like I have heard a lot of my friends have an equal footing in the household. They make the financial decisions um, they are able to, you know, look at their husbands in the eye and say, I will not do this. Like saying no has become a very common thing. And I am so proud of all my friends who are able to do that because saying no is a privilege. And we have earned that privilege and we have earned that right to say, the, say no. Uh, and so these changes are all there and it's so positive and it really warms my heart to see that. But I still feel that um, when this, this is like a utopia. For a lot of the women um for us we are in a bubble we don't realize that outside this bubble there are a lot of girls who do not even aspire to get a college education because they have not never thought that they could get a college education there are a lot of dalit women who have never um aspired because they they have faced incidents of violence like i was talking to a dalit woman um who faced a gender-based caste-based violence and uh, she went to the police and the police refused to help her and now she's in hiding because her um, in-laws who were upper caste, they are threatening to you know, kill her family. So these kind of things are still happening in the smaller towns. And um, I just really hope, I honestly hope that the policies of the government permeate to these towns and the social changes happen, the changes in the mentality happen. Uh, but I don't honestly see that happening. Um, like I'm telling you, like the, the one, top 1% 1 of women the kind of changes we have seen, it's very much heading towards Western society, which is great. Uh, but I would say the rest, 99%, it's uh, even aspiring for basic amenities is a challenge, like accessing washrooms, 
uh, going to schools, sitting in the same classroom as you know with boys, it's it's aspirational. Like getting there is is a task. So I I'm I'm a little scared for the future of the country because if we have a lot of uh, people who are unemployed, a lot of young people unemployed in uh, smaller towns, there's going to be a lot of frustration. There's going to be a lot of anger. There will be increased violence towards women. Um, and uh, the youth needs jobs and we need to create the jobs and we need to stop creating jobs for the top 1%. We need to start focusing on the people who, who are slipping through the cracks. And the political situation right now is not focusing on them. It's more of like rallying the unemployed people uh, for a, a religious agenda or you know diverting their attention from the actual issue of creating employment and this is going to be a major um, issue politically socially economically in the long run for india and i don't know how the government's going to tackle it when you know the uh, i would say the dam bursts what would you say is the the indian government's priority at the you know at the moment and how does this limit the ability of um of women to claim spaces and create opportunities for themselves uh right now at least this particular uh the next six months the priority will be uh winning the election so right now the agenda of the government is very much uh, geared around whatever they stand for. Uh, and uh, I feel with this current the BJP government, they have seen the agenda of Hindutva, which is a Hindu right-wing thought process work. Um, and they are rallying people around it. And um, they will. Uh, they are also uh, like winning a lot of states. Like we recently had a, the Bihar CM uh, turn, like, you know, turn over and come to the BJP. So these kind of things are happening politically right now. Uh, I think in the long run, when Modi came to power in 2014, his entire agenda was economic um, growth because the previous government had really failed at doing that. There were a lot of issues. There were a lot of scams. There were a lot of economic, uh, even though I would say we did go through the 2008 financial crisis a little smoothly because we were being led by an economist, Dr. Manmohan Singh. Um, it was still like the growth of the country was not happening at that scale that it's happened under Modi. Uh, the infrastructure has improved, the roads have improved. Um, you can now get to one city to another very easily. So this kind of growth has happened, I would say. But the I would say the goal of the government right now is just con like solidifying their political power and making sure they stay in power and for the next whatever number of years um, and sort of diminishing the value of the opposition, just getting rid of the opposition together. The opposition party doesn't even receive funding as like their funding is like less than half of what the BJP has. And that's the power of the BJP at this point. So um, that's been that's the agenda of the government, just solidifying their power. Economically, I would say, of course, for Modi, it's important to create jobs and make India economically powerful, because if it has established its good trade relations with other countries, uh, if it uh, establishes its, itself in the IT industry, because we have a lot of talent going to the US and other countries uh, in IT talent, we actually can sort of flex our muscle uh, internationally. So that is a big agenda for Modi for showing India as a powerful country. He also takes pages from the books of uh, people like Putin, for example, now before the elections, he has all these images of him as a very macho man, you know, who like he's like, you know, um, coming out like there was this photo of him coming out um, of the sea, you know, with scuba diving, diving equipment. So these kind of gimmicks are happening. Uh, but I would say uh, what in the long run, what should matter for India is 
creating jobs for the people for the youth in the smaller towns and in the villages giving them employment opportunities because as long as the election is happening they will be employed like they will probably be working for a political party or uh, they'll be participating in rallies but once that ends what do they do what, what what jobs do they have for example i was in himachal pradesh last year and i was talking to a tour guide and he was telling me that you know i have my own company but there are just so many restrictions for um like there's just so many barriers to uh, entrepreneurship and he said i i only went into entrepreneurship because there were no jobs for me he did a degree in tourism from himachal pradesh university and there was no jo- employment for him he said he got a job in a far off city like hyderabad and his income was like less than 20000 rupees a month which is nothing for a city like hyderabad like 20000 rupees is nothing and his rent itself would you know be more than that like or, or at least close to that so uh, inflation is rising in india so modi also has to address inflation if and when he comes to power again so um, these are the challenges that a lot of people don't see that's not portrayed in the news in the news the image of india is we are a very powerful country uh, we are going to be the next super economy you know we bet the uk we will sort of be the next china that's the image that's there but we also need to look at the ground realities and i know that i might be trolled a little for speaking up about the ground realities but i as a citizen of my country i do want to see my country develop at every level i want everybody to have a say i want a woman who has come from an economically disadvantaged background a dalit woman to have the same say as me and it's i'm not wrong in saying that but these women are not getting those opportunities and if they don't um it's just is this going to be very it's going to be the same thing that happened um, that's been happening in india for generations we will have a set of upper castes controlling everything and then everyone else will just um be subverted to the rules so it's like neo colonialism as a lot of us say it's new colonialism of the privileged people oppressing the un- underprivileged people well thank you ankita i sincerely appreciate you you know coming in here today and discussing this with us at length this has been a very um a very insightful and i think rewarding conversation so thank you for doing it for participating thank you so much for this opportunity alan and yeah i i'm very glad we could talk at length about this and i hope people take positive takeaways from this because uh, yesterday i was uh, trolled by a hindu right wing organization for writing an opinion piece um so i would say uh, don't uh, i would tell everyone listening to this don't take this to heart um i have the best interests of my country uh in my in my heart so uh even though i'm criticizing a lot of things i still do want the best for my country so um whoever wins in the next election i just hope it's uh, the best for um the country and the people who really deserve to have equal say in in all spaces Thank you for joining us today on the Foreign Press podcast. That was our 2023 Professional Excellence Awardee Ankita M Kumar, who reminds us that every twist and turn in life shapes us into the individuals that we become. I'm Alan Herrera. We'll see you next time.